there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son sit down and talk about fantasy, science fiction, and whatever other nerdiness we feel like talking about on a given day. Today, there is no Zach with me. It's just me, but it is not just me, because we have a special episode for you on this live stream today, where I have an author joining us someone who wrote that book that's on my screen behind me here, The Trials of Ashmount, and I want to bring him in here and introduce him. So, John, let's get you onto the screen. Hey, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. That is my absolute pleasure. I had the chance to encounter your book. I think it was back in January that I read it. I might have started in December, and... I couldn't shut up about it because it was so much fun. I'm just enjoying the book from day one and I'm tweeting about it. And then at some point you start jumping in on the tweets saying, hey, glad you're enjoying it. And anytime a content creator hears back from the author when they're speaking about the things they're enjoying about a book is always kind of fun. But you were kind of next level because we actually started having real conversations, not just someone's liking <laughs> my tweet. And uh, I appreciated that. And we've stayed kind of communicating on stuff along the way and now here we are we've got you on an episode here today and thanks for being here i think we're gonna have some fun today yeah definitely thanks for having me and uh yeah i just kind of every once in a while on twitter search the title of my book because i like to see is anyone talking about it and that's how i just like randomly found you I was <laughs> He's like, like oh, please cool. somebody be talking about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean because i i've been on the twitter feed before where you're just kind of scrolling and all of a sudden i find like, someone was talking about my book and I had no idea they were even reading it. And I was like, Oh my God, is there other people that are doing this? So I started searching every once in a while because I was curious and I found mm -hmm. a couple of people mm -hmm. who like, I didn't know. And they're like, this book was terrible. DNF. And then, you know, I found you. So it's a two way street there. Sometimes, uh, sure. sometimes you get good things and sometimes you get bad things, but, uh, I can roll with the punches. So it's worth it. There you go. You know, you kind of put yourself out there when you publish a book. And it's out into the world, it's into the wild, and you have no control over what people think of the book. And we're going to talk more about your book, certainly, as we get into this here. And, and I'm interested, and I know our viewers are interested in, you know, what kinds of things are going on in your head as you hear feedback, as you come up with this stuff in the first place. And we'll talk about all these sorts of things. But on our show, there's something critical that we always talk about before we get into content, and that's what we're drinking. Because we believe drinking makes our content better it might be that when others are drinking our content is better i sometimes get that mixed up but i am drinking something today now this is just white wine i have nothing fancy today just a simple white table wine it's not even a special wine you know chardonnay chenin blanc no it's just a blend it's boring because <laughs> this is my first day back content creating after a week-long vacation cruise with an unlimited drink package. Oh. <laughs> which drives this frugal guy to drink enough to make it have value that I bought the unlimited drink package. <laughs> so I'm saturated right now. <laughs> so so just a little easy white wine is in my wheelhouse today. That's great. It's it's not obligatory, but we always like to ask guests then, are you drinking anything today? I, I'm even more bland than you are. I have my <laughs> little uh, thermos here of ice water. Ice water is all I drink. I'm very bland when it comes to drinks. Why is it the only thing I drink? I don't know. I just 
really like the hydration I feel when I drink it, I guess. I, I don't Good. know. Yeah. Uh, everything, you know, most other drinks seem to just make me thirstier. And so that annoys me. <laughs> I get that. You know, most people don't drink enough water. And I do. I hydrate all day long. And when I'm drinking alcohol, then I'm like every other drink is another home big chug of water. Kind of stay <laughs> hydrated. But your brain works better when you are hydrated. And I notice if I haven't been drinking enough water, uh, focus gets a little worse. It's harder to stay on track. So especially since you're here talking about your book, your writing experience, I'm glad you're drinking water and we won't get fuzzy <laughs> comments. Yeah, that's all good. <laughs> well, let me let me just let our viewers here know. And I do want to say, hey, to those who are with us live in the live stream, glad you're here with us today. But also all of you who are watching this later when we drop this as a regular episode on the channel, this is a spoiler light episode. Most of our content on Fantasy for the Ages comes out this way. So when we talk about books, literature, even media we've consumed, we usually don't ruin the plot. We want to talk about what things in ways that if people have already read or watched this stuff, they know what we're talking about. They're enjoying it. They get it. And we might hint at some things and they're like, oh, I know what you just did there. You know, and we can have fun with that. But we never want to spoil the experience for someone who hasn't read or watched what we're talking about. So as we do spend some time talking about the trials of Ashmount, we're not going to ruin the story. We're not going to give it away because I'm hoping some people will watch this episode and then we'll go, why have I waited so long? I got to go find this book now. And it will be a great experience for them. So you're safe if you haven't read this book yet as you watch this episode. So I got a bunch of questions. We're just going to go into and we'll see where the conversation goes. John, right. the first thing I have for you is what got you into writing in the first place, this book, and then trying to get it published? You know, tell us how you came about to this decision. All right. So I guess real quick, writing in general, I've always kind of written. I started when I was in high school and was terrible. I, I make no <laughs> excuses for the crap that I wrote about when I was in now, high how school. do you know you were terrible? Were people throwing vegetables at you? I mean, what? Yeah. I had friends who were brutally honest and did <laughs> read and give me feedback. And uh, to be fair, it was justified, but <laughs> it was really bad. But uh, We so, all have to crawl before we can walk, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. I think I was in a 11th grade and my friend had told me, uh, I don't actually know the exact statistics on this, but my friend had told me it was something like 1% of every single person who's ever tried to like write a book fails or succeeds i'm sorry one percent succeeds and i was like that can't be true and i'm going to do it and he was like you're not going to do it because one person only one percent succeed so i sat down and i wrote a whole book in my 11th uh, grade year of high school I, I wrote an entire book and in my senior year i wrote the like half of a sequel so i i kind of proved myself at a very young age that i could do it and then mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i started going to college and working and and i I wanted to always write, but I never got enough time. When I'm working or in college, I have this like one track mind, I think. If I'm doing both working and college, I tend to just focus on one and neglect the other. And when I am only doing one, if I'm full-time in college or full-time working, I just, this might sound a little pathetic because I know a lot of authors go through that struggle of like, I worked three jobs and wrote my first novel, but for me, I just get too mentally taxed, I guess. I come home from work. I'm tired. I don't feel like writing. So 
I kind of never really tried again. And then COVID happened. Ah. Yeah, when COVID happened, my my job, I was an assistant manager at Burger King, actually. And they kind of reduced my hours, reduced the amount of help I had, took away my vacation, docked my pay. They did all these things because, or I think they tried to dock the pay. And I sent a very, very wordy email to the CEO. And I also actually contacted a news source. <laughs> they wrote a whole article about it. And so, yeah, I was not happy. So I ended up quitting. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. Uh, ironically, I think it was like two or three weeks after I quit, I also got my bachelor's degree in business management, but COVID was happening. So no one was hiring and I didn't really want a job at the time anyway, because of everything that just happened between COVID, between my last job, between sure. not knowing where society was going. And I was just like, I'm going to sit down and write this book. Now, the idea for the trials of Ashmount, this kind of touches us on like a, a later question, I think, which refers to the magic systems but the reason i wrote this book specifically was because way back in high school i actually had this idea for a magic system which was that it was tied to your life force and that as you used it you kind of like aged in real like life like real time i mean mm -hmm. and so i just kind of sat down and i started writing with that idea in my mind and also with the idea that i wanted to make a serious go at actually putting a book out there and then i I did it. You know, I, I finished the book after I had to, I wrote like 80,000 uh, words. So it was like just about half of the book. And I posted in a writing group for feedback. And I was like, hey, what do you guys think? And, you know, I got similar feedback that I got when I was in high school. Basically, it was trash. <laughs> but I, I asked them to be brutally honest. And they okay. were. And that was great. But when I found that out, I was like, damn it. My writing has not improved since I was a kid, really. Now, I'm an excellent essay writer. So straight A, like if it comes to essays for like English class or whatever, I mm -hmm. am fantastic. I will always get an A on a paper. But creatively, I didn't know a lot of the rules. So I was, you know, my dialogue tags were all messy. I used way too many adverbs and passive voice and all these, you know, I don't think you have to abide by these rules, but if you use them overly much, you, it can just get really, it can just get really uh, overwhelming, I think, like very samey or amateurish, I guess. In the indie world, especially, they seem to judge this stuff way more than if you're traditionally published because mm -hmm. people talk about great writers. You know, I'm reading Robin Hogg right now, and she uses a ton of both uh, adverbs and passive voice. And no one ever complains about her skill because, right. you know, she's she's a very great writer. But for some reason, I don't like words. her writing, by the way. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm not on the Robin um, Hobb train. I am not. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a big fan so far, but I can understand why people wouldn't be. I mean, you're enjoying Malazan, right? I fucking hate oh, that man, shit. Oh, man, loving it. <laughs> now, I, th I would say that the writing technique, uh, not to get off track, but just real quick to clarify my comments. Uh, I will say Erickson, fantastic writer. But I finished the first book and I didn't, I realized I didn't understand a single thing that happened. And I was like, okay, obviously this isn't for me. <laughs> He's technically a great writer, but I didn't understand it. I think it's just a me problem. Uh, so, but you know, every book is going to land differently for different people. You right? know, that that's what I hear uh, with, with Malazan. That's kind of the thing. Either you get it or it's not your thing. 
because right. there is some complexity involved. There's some things where he's not telling you what you might want to know, and you're going to have to wait and be patient or figure it out. And some people are like, no, give me more. Give me more. You know, and right. yeah, that's it. But you're, you're so right, John, about the rules, the rules of writing. Rules are meant to be broken. Right. Lots of authors who are very successful don't follow. I mean, rule schmools. What matters is do people enjoy the story? Are they sucked in? Are they engaged? And when I read your story, that's what happened to me. Uh, I could not. I'm not a literary analytic critic. I could not tell you about the quality of your prose, which it's some terrible. podcasts talk about. That's not me. Okay, <laughs> I'm a fan of good stories. So I read your book. I got the story. I was engaged. And then I can see the pictures, you know, cinematically, I can picture what you're talking about, what's happening. And, and you forget about the actual words on the page then. Where it's successful as a writer then is if you write well enough that someone can be seeing the story in their mind and nothing's pulling you out of the story. Because, wow, that was really badly written and I couldn't follow it. That's <laughs> the only rule you have to follow is don't take the person out of the story. Right. For me... Uh, you succeeded in that. I thank you. I appreciate that. It's always good to hear when someone says that it just uh, like sucked them in because I think that's, you know, as a reader myself, that's what I want is for something to just pull me in and uh, absorb me. And if it, it, if it's able to do that, I think that you forgive, you forgive any uh, bad, you know, not bad writing, but occasional mistakes or uh, anything that's, you know, uh, maybe a missing comma or something that's like, ah, why did you do that? Uh, and every book has that, of course. But, uh, you know, I was actually just looking at the Trials of Ashmount, the first uh, chapter the other day. And it, the first time I noticed, oh, my God, there's a missing quotation. No. Don't you hate that then? You hate that when you find it now. Yeah. <laughs> so annoying. You know, I just the dialogue. It's just like a, I think it's like a single sentence and it just ends with no quote that just well, bothers me i don't remember it <laughs> so i didn't catch it you know and somebody will out there you know some of our our viewers here are pointing out some things i can put this one in jonathan saying it's infinitely easier to give critique than it is to create in the first place you know and also saying critics are a dime a dozen you know absolutely there are so many things that you can find wrong with any story if you if that's what you're looking for and you mentioned indie authors people love to critique them more than anyone you know it's like oh it's it's just indie stuff it's going to be you know subpar <laughs> i'm like that's that's crap it's either a good story or it's not it doesn't really matter who wrote it anyone is going to be capable of writing a good story some of them get pub picked up by a big publisher right. some don't and have to self publish doesn't change it being a great story it's the story itself that matters. Now, speaking of this particular story, and I'm going to jump back out because I end up, I gesture. And when I keep in the small <laughs> format, my arms disappear off the side. So we'll keep it, keep it wide here. Zach also watched this. He's sorry he couldn't be with us here live today, but he's actually working. Dude's got a job that goes in the evening sometimes. So that's the way it is. What can you do, right? Yeah, you know, a paycheck's important for him. He's young. He needs the money. All right, that's fine. I'm old. I need the money too, but I'm off today. So <laughs> this is fine. And you're East coast, right? I am. I live in uh, New York actually. So it's already evening, early evening out by you as we're recording this. So right. easy peasy. 
But Zach did give me some questions to ask specifically because he read your book much more recently now and he loved it. He was a big fan too. I'm sure we will do Zach. (laughs) I'm sure the two of us, he and I will do an episode collaborating, just talking about this, maybe just before your next one comes out, which we'll talk about in a moment. But some of his questions he submitted, which I'll do on his behalf. And this is the first one. What genre or sub genre do you personally consider the trials of Ashmount to best fit into? You know, someone's thinking about whether they want to read this book or not. Where would you place it? So I advertise it as grimdark fantasy, but I do understand why some people say it's not grimdark. The problem with grimdark is it's really dependent on each person's individual definition of grimdark. So totally. I consider Joe Abercrombie and George R. R. Martin to be grimdark authors. Yes. Some people do not. Uh, I think those people are crazy, but I personally think they're, you know, those are my, also my two biggest like inspirations and uh, favorite authors. But I would, I, while the pros might not read as super dark and uh, grimdarkish like a lot of grimdark can, there are a lot of grimdark things that happen. And I didn't want like a Wheel of Time reader to see the cover and be like, oh, wow, another great, cool little adventure. So I, I specifically, you know, I want to emphasize to the normal epic fantasy reader maybe that this is darker than uh, a lot of normal a regular epic fantasy, I guess. Sure, uh, sure. You know, as I read it, it definitely fit into grim dark for me. I mean, it ticks off the boxes. Is it the darkest grim dark I've read? No, but it's definitely grim dark. I mean, just the way it starts out. Wow, this <laughs> character's screwed. You know, right off the bat. Right. I, again, no spoilers. But if you read this book, you'll know what I'm talking about. You waste no time in taking one person's life and just put it in in the tank. You know. This is elements of grimdark, but you also have, you know, there's, there's hope, there's light, there's positive possibilities uh, for the various characters as they move forward through here. So I don't know, grimdark light. Can we, can we call that? Is that a thing? You know, I have heard. We shouldn't get too wrapped up in, in pegging <laughs> it on the, on the specific character. Right. I have, I have heard someone call it grim hope. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Grim Hope. All right. Okay, you guys all heard it. John Palladino starting a new category in fantasy, the (laughs) subgenre of Grim Hope. I'll be looking for more to put into the category. All right, here's another question for you, John, from Zach again. Do you have any particular inspirations for the core characters in this book? I mean, how do you come up with these these particular characters? Again, don't spoil any, but feel free to name, you know, any characters... Those who've read it will know who you mean, and those who won't will know what you mean when they get to it. So any any particular inspirations for some of these core characters? All right. So I'd like to talk about six characters, I think. Beautiful. So, so the first two I'm going to name are inspired by characters that Joe Abercrombie wrote. The first is Demry. Uh, he's not inspired 100% by Glockta, but there are elements of that character type in, in Demry. So I... I when I first started writing, I was like, oh, man, it'd be kind of cool to have this. Uh, yeah, Grimheart. It <laughs> uh, <laughs> was worth showing. Right. I had this idea that, like, I haven't, I haven't seen anyone really write someone that, like, stutters and, like, actually write out the stutter. Like, I've always seen, like, you know, this person stutters. And, and I don't know why I really wanted to do that, but I did. <laughs> so, so I did. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, it'd be really cool 
is if I kind of make this character kind of persecuted or disliked by a lot of people for reasons that are spoilers, so I won't mention them, but, and then later on, maybe, and that's subjective, but maybe you start to think differently about the situation, depending on how you view some of the major like plot points in the, in the book. So mm-hmm. the second character that was inspired by an Abercrombie character is uh, actually Royal, who is inspired by, what's his name? Nicomo Koska, right? I think that's his name. Uh, okay. So the alcoholic, you know, Royal is also an alcoholic. A bit different, but I like the idea of just having an alcoholic, I guess. And uh, <laughs> so Royal is my take on that. Uh, he's the only side character I'm going to mention here. But the rest are the main characters. So Sarah is, or Sarah Dahl, whatever, she is... You get to call her whatever you want, by the way. You're the author, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, people call her Sarah, Sarah Dell, Sarah, whatever. But I, I don't care how people pronounce the names, but I'm just going to say them how I wrote them. And This becomes uh, canon, John. As soon as you say it on video, <laughs> it's canon now. I mean, that's fair. The uh, That's true. <laughs> it is canon, I suppose. But I also do like to emphasize that I don't care how you pronounce a, a name. Or anything like that. I know some people get really like annoyed by that. And to me, way I just too worked up. Don't care. Zach for... and I have fun arguing about names sometimes. But <laughs> you're right. It's it's a creative thing. It's fantasy. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. My aim is to create names that are easy to pronounce, even if you pronounce them. And I'm putting like quotes around this, but incorrectly because they're. I just think it's important that you can actually say the name and whether or not you get it like phonetically all the way. I, I, it doesn't matter as long as you have a name in your head when you read. Sure. Because there's sometimes you just get hung up and you're like, I can't even say this person's name. Uh, but Sarah wasn't really inspired by anyone or anything. It was just like, I, I think her and Keldon were kind of like my two, let's start them off in a really normal epic fantasy type setting with really kind of like normal events and then kind Mm -hmm. of make it familiar to epic fantasy readers i think so that they have like this you know i live in this town and you know this bad thing happens or this opportunity arises and uh we go on our merry way and and then and then we kind of diverge from maybe what's normal in epic fantasy i guess and well sarah is a great example because you're establishing kind of a hero's journey for her then that then goes grimdark (laughs) <laughs> right yeah which is great i i love what you've done with her so she's not really inspired by anything other than that but Keldon, i actually finished writing the book and uh when i was looking there's two things that changed after i wrote the book the first draft the first was Keldon, and i i went through i was rereading the book and i was like oh my god Keldon is so boring he's just he's just the most bland main character how am i going to change this without having to rewrite too much and i still think his Chapters are kind of boring, but that's an author problem. Maybe I've heard people say they thought he was their favorite and most interesting character. That's all subjective, of course. But for me as a writer, I didn't even like writing him like throughout the first book. But I went back and I was like, I need to flesh this uh, series of chapters out. And so uh, how am I going to fix them? And so I was like, well, there's a really easy way to make him polarizing. I'll just insert my own thoughts about things into his head. And it made him a complete asshole. <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> I was like, what would what would I think in this situation? Oh, there it is. Oh my God, people are going to hate him. He's a dick. 
but that's what I would think. And so I just went through and I kind of put in all these like, and now again, I'm not that bad. He's kind of really a dick. So I did inflate that a little, but it is really based on a lot of thoughts that I would have in situations like that. Because I, a kid a little bit that I have a cold heart. I'm an emotionless person. I just tend not to get too bothered. And I get annoyed when other people do get bothered by a lot of things or emotionally, you know, someone starts crying over something that I think is trivial, you know, whatever. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and then I have these like terrible thoughts in my head, like that I probably shouldn't have, but I have them anyway. <laughs> I can't help it. So uh, yeah, Keldon was entirely inspired by that part of me. Uh, once I realized he needed more personality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these tidbits are great so far, John. I, I'm like, <laughs> I got to go back and read the book again with these insights. That's what I'm feeling right now. So this is great. Uh, you had two more. Yes. So Edelbrock is fun fact. Before I even talk about his inspiration, I wrote my entire first book, posted for feedback, listed, or I think I posted for feedback on my blurb. It was like my original blurb, actually. It's not the same blurb uh -huh. anymore, but I, which has the character. And actually, it's the it's the one behind you right now, actually. So Edelbrock is a car parts manufacturing company, apparently. I did not know this. Okay. And someone told me that. And they were like, you better change it. Because like, that's, people are going to look at that and read car parts. You know, people that are into cars. And I was like, crap. <laughs> I don't want to change it. <laughs> like, I always come up with my names from scratch by, uh, I use this uh, system that I didn't invent, but I say I, in my head, invented it to myself, really, which is very syllable based. So I will come up with different syllables that I like, and then kind of try and mash them together. Uh, I, I learned this function from DMing D&D. &D. And so okay. when I or playing D D, whichever. And so say I wanted an elf name and I had no idea. And I hate, I absolutely hate looking at a list of names, picking one and using it. I can't do that. I, I feel like I just stole. It's not created by me. I know guys, I'm not trying to upset anyone that does that. And I have no, uh, no issues with anyone that does that for just for me personally, I'm too much it of a creative person. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I, I think way back when I was a kid uh, and we played 3.5, my friends had this book and I, I think it was just like a, a, it was a thin book. And I think it was just uh, tables of names for each race. Basically. Uh, I think it was just an extra supplement thing. And so I, I'd go into that book and elf names and I would see like, Oh, that's a really cool start. But then I can't use the whole name. Mix because, it up to something So then I kind yeah. of, I, maybe I'd find another part of a different name or I'd invent the next part myself or whatever. But that's how I came up with names. And so I came up with Edelbrock in that way. I'm not a car person. I know nothing about cars. I, I had no idea it's car thing. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I don't know how to change windshield wipers. I like I, I'm I'm okay, I learned that one. YouTube, <laughs> man. YouTube teaches you anything. Come on. I, I just uh <laughs> I don't know anything about cars at all. I'm really car stupid. You know, I drove my mom's car a while ago and it took me 10 minutes to figure out how to open the gas tank once. Like, yeah, I know that's sad, but like, I'm really that inept when it comes to cars. Uh, cars are just not my thing. Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs>
so I mean, you know, I apologize to all the men out there who are coming into cars, <laughs> but I don't know anything about them. So when I found out it was a car parts manufacturer, I was like, of course it is because I don't know anything about it. But I was really annoyed, but I had to keep it because I just really liked the name and it had already landed with me. So there you go. All right. And, uh, and come so, on, nobody's gotten back to you afterwards going, dude, what's with the guy named after the car part thing? <laughs> right. You haven't heard that once, have you? I, I haven't, no. Yeah, you're fine. But another thing, when I posted, uh, can't remember what I posted, but I had the first and last name of my five main characters. Keldon Stool. that's his last name. S-T-O-O-L-E. And the reason his last name is Stool was because I was like, I, I want something simple uh, that's going to maybe make him sound like a commoner. And so I kind of thought of a book I read, and I'm struggling right now to remember which book it was and what author it was. But the author's character name was something, and then I, and I, I really feel bad because I'm not remembering who it is, and something, and then furniture piece. I don't remember what the furniture piece was. I. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I'll do the same thing. It'll make him sound kind of like a oh, simple. Oh no, you're thinking of Kevin or... Futon. I'm sure yeah, that's who you mean. Exactly, yeah. Kevin Futon. Uh, so I was like, <laughs> Stool. Stool would be a great name, and I can put an E on it, and it makes it look like you know a real name. And everyone was like, I can't believe you just named your uh, character Kevin or Keldon shit. And I was like, Oh my god, are you serious? That's what you see. I figured that's where you were going. But uh, no. You have an E on the end. It's right. cool. It works. Uh, so but again, I haven't heard any of that in reviews either. So anyway, <laughs> Edelbrock's inspiration. Basically, without giving spoilers, how fucked can I make one character? <laughs> Success. Success. Yes. That's it. <laughs> so, I have to admit, right up, right away, when yeah. you start off with that character, I did not. I'm like, I'm not getting this character. I don't care for this character. And he has so grown on me. Yeah, totally. Grown it's funny. Out. A lot of people say that. Um, I, I really like him myself. Uh, yep. Actually, his... and and so it comes through. Well done. Right. Yeah. So uh, then, Villic, or as some other people say, uh, Village, uh, depending on who you are, is totally inspired by uh, my childhood. Actually, so he's very introverted, very shy. And when I was a kid, I was. Uh, super super introverted and shy like beyond normal <laughs> mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if people talk to me uh then i kind of froze a lot of the time you know i was so scared to even approach a teacher to ask like go to the bathroom that i would actually like in second grade i wouldn't go to the bathroom i end up shitting my pants because i was so nervous Ooh. to actually talk to them i know it's now we've come story. right back to Mr. Stool. Look Mr. At that. Stool. <laughs> but so I, I remember those feelings still of like just being absolutely petrified if someone like approached me and I was like, I'm going to really put that into Zillick and make him super, super shy, super like, nervous around just everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where yeah. that came from. Another great character you've created. Absolutely. Well, you've created a lot of great things in this story. And honestly, it it I was impressed with the depth of what's gone into creating the story. Again, no spoilers on it. Just there's a lot in here. It's, it's very impressive from my perspective. One of those things is the magic system or systems. You know, I mean, the, there's some complexity here. And, and again, we have people listening who and watching who have not read this yet. So I'm not sure how much you can really say about it, but... I, I'm just kind of 
what was going on in your head to be <laughs> able to come up with this? I know you talked about it a little bit earlier. Is there anything else you can say about yeah, what so was behind designing this? Just to uh, reassure anyone that's listening about this and worried about spoilers, every single thing you might interpret as a spoiler happens in the character's basically like first or second chapter i'm not spoiling anything far at all into the book i am purposely trying to be very vague so i'm only keeping it to the very early part guys he wants you to read the book which uh, means he wants you to buy the book <laughs> trust us he's not ruining it <laughs> so the magic systems i don't feel is a spoiler to get into even though there are some learning and developments that come from them but from I guess we'll talk about the main system first. Uh, and I, I already told you how I kind of came up with the first concept, which was just in high school. I thought it would be a really interesting thing to see someone, uh, you know, be able to transfer their life basically to someone else and heal them. Uh, and that's kind of like the first image I had was like a young person is mortally wounded and laying in a bed and dying. And this other person that's like 20 or whatever walks up to them and they're like, you're not going to die today. And they lay their hand on that person and fully heal them. And the person that's laying in the bed looks up at this old person that's standing in front of them now because they just gave them their whole life, basically. And then that just kind of evolved from then. I was like, well, how do I do that with like a combat sense? How do I now what? This seems kind of broken if everyone has magic and everyone has uh, the ability to do all this stuff. So I broke it into mm -hmm. like, five subsects so that you can't just do everything um and that does develop later on in the story but yeah we, we can't uh, talk about that yeah <laughs> uh, i was so, going there <laughs> yeah there's there's five branches so you have your healers your enforcers who are like your typical arcane magician i think in role-playing games that do fireballs and, fireball yeah ice walls and and uh whatever calling down lightning uh, you know, creating a great crater in the ground or a pillar into the uh, sky. I don't know. Whatever you can think of. They just can do stuff like that. Uh, they can control force and make people explode. It, they just do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, your collectors who are kind of the same way, except they don't have the ability to use magic unless they kill someone that has the ability and uh, or they don't have to necessarily kill them themselves, but they go up to a person that died who had what's called uh, the trace, which is just the magic ab ability that's been unlocked in them. And then they're able to harvest this into these vials uh, and collect it and use that later as like a potion, I guess, uh, that you consume and then you can use magic for a little while without spending your own life. And they can also give that to the enforcers to uh, help them. Now, that mechanic hasn't been touched on much. Uh, but I do promise in the future, it will be. <laughs> this this element of your magic system does lean into Grimdark. I mean, think about that. Harvesting. What a <laughs> word. Harvest <laughs> the magic trace from people who are dead or dying. You know, ooh, ooh, yeah. Right. And then for enforcers to be able to use their magic, I have uh, glyphists who basically tie the ability from your life to connect it to like the magical power inside of you. So that you can actually use it and consume your life. They make these like tattoos on their body that they consume, which is what is aging them. And then there's one other type of uh, the magic branch. And they're just people who can basically see what you can do 
and identify if you have the ability to use magic. And those people are are really good, like door guards, I guess, because they can immediately see. Oh, magic this, person! Magic yeah, person! Exactly. Yeah. This person coming in is uh, clearly an enforcer, which they didn't tell us. That's not good. So, the, and the idea behind all of this was to make a very hard magic system with rules, so that because I, I, and this is just a personal preference, but I really hate it when you're three quarters of the way through a book. You know, there's magic in the book. You have no idea what the magic can do. Everyone is about to be completely fucked. The enemy is there. They're being swarmed. And then all of a sudden, the mage just shows up, does something that you've never seen in the book beforehand, <laughs> and then you never see it again later. And I'm just like, but why? <laughs> just That feels lazy, doesn't oh, it? I yeah. hate that, yes. <laughs> so I, I did want to make very hard rules that I could then hopefully expand on and do new cool things with but i wanted there to be kind of a groundwork and then you did say that there are magic systems so there is the mm -hmm. second system which is uh really fun because basically and it's completely separate from the other system fascinatingly different yeah <laughs> and 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 basically what happens here is uh you you're you're just a person and you're you're living your life and then all of a sudden you might have a voice in your head and this is really hard to uh, explain, I guess, with sh certainty because I haven't worked this part out all the way, I guess. <laughs> it's a uh, spirit, the living embodiment of someone else. I, I, an old mage, basically, has created this way to live, live eternally through other people. So they might just randomly spring up inside of you. And if they do, they can see everything you see they can hear everything you say. They know every single thought you have. In fact, most of the time when you're communicating with them, you you could do it just completely mentally, no talking out loud. Of course, that is kind of a funny dynamic with a character because they talk out loud sometimes. But normally, you probably wouldn't do that very often. But in, in that circumstance, it's a little different. But mm -hmm. this spirit mage thing that's living inside of you will be there until you die basically it's a permanent groupie <laughs> <laughs> and it unlocks the uh, ability to use magic through what is called imbuing and so you if you have a weapon in your hand or or you know it could be a bow and arrow what it could be any weapon basically you can then imbue it with different elemental powers so you can light your sword on fire. You can turn your sword into lava. You could turn it into a shard of ice. Uh, you can use it to generate like wind or air or force. So many different things. But you have to have the weapon in your hand. And if you don't, you can't use that magic at all. And Very creative addition to the story. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens as these two different... <laughs> types of magic are going to come into more relation connection conflict wherever this goes uh, there's it's already been hinted a little bit you know in the first book here but i i'm sure there's more to come and perhaps you're still waiting to see what happens too when your brain thinks of it so <laughs> we're looking <laughs> sure. forward to all of this for sure uh another question from zach is and this certainly aligns with grimdark he wants to know if you plan on letting any of your main characters live to the end of the series <laughs> <laughs> okay now don't answer that this is just zach's humor but you know i i do 
the thing is, it's it's grimdark in the sense that anyone reading this should quickly come to understand that no one is safe. Any crap can happen to anybody. There's no one who has perfect plot armor. This is all bets are off. Things are going to happen. And I love that aspect of it. There's nobody who is a made man. No. Let's just see where right. the chips fall. I, I just love the element of not knowing who's safe and who's not. It's yeah. my favorite thing about reading a book. If, if to me that the characters in the book feel invincible, I'm kind of out. I, I need mm-hmm. to feel like they're in danger. Yeah. And it's more I'll, real. Right. And I will tell you this. This is not a spoiler. I do have a lot of big plot elements in my head kind of plotted out. I am not a plotter. I don't plot. But when I got halfway through the Trials of Ashman, I realized I really need to come up with like the ending. So I came up with like where I was going with the story. But I have no idea which characters are actually going to get there. I have. Yeah, I love that. I have yeah. ideas in my head, but and again, without I'm not going to spoil anything. But in in the sequel, there is actually a character, two characters, in fact, that I planned on having going much farther. And when I got to where they were in their scenarios, it was just like, oh, I I don't I don't think it'd be realistic to save them. And as much as that killed me. I had to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. You're just being authentic with where the story takes you. Right. No, that's good. That's good. All right. Let's step out of the story itself for a moment and talk about the publishing process. I know getting published as an author is rough. Uh, I've got a friend, Eric, Patreon supporter. I know you'll watch this. Uh, he's been trying to get a YA fantasy series that he's written, picked up. For a number of years now. Good luck. And despite it being good quality, he's gotten great feedback from beta readers for him and such. He's just gotten to be very familiar with rejection. Uh, So tell us about your experience deciding to self-publish. I mean, did you try to get this picked up by a publishing house first? Or did you just say, I'm just self-publishing? Tell us about your experience. All right. I have a story that I'll tell very quickly. But before that story... I would, I queried for maybe a day before I realized, nah, I'm not going to do this traditional publishing crap because each agent requires all these different things. So every time you query a different agent, you have to change your entire thing. And it just, to me, that's too much work. And I already know, you know, to this day, it's been a year now, more than a year since I queried. And I've probably only heard back from half of them. Mm. Now, I know that some of them don't send responses, and probably I'm not going to hear a rejection from any of the others. I I don't know. And also, I probably queried too early because it was before I did one of my uh, edits. But either way, I'm just not patient enough. I figured now's the time to shoot my shot, so I self-published. And I don't regret it because, like you said, uh, that guy, Eric, I think you said his name was, waiting for years, right? And it's just, to me, if you have good feedback like that, Invest the money, get a, a good cover, do the editing, throw it out there, throw it to reviewers, and hope that it does well. Because you know how many years are you going to wait to try and get picked up? A lot of people do. I'm just I I can't be that patient. <laughs> uh, now I the hear you. now the story. Part of my process. I can't name names here, and I can't. Uh, you know, I I think that would be kind of impro- unprofessional. But when I was pre-published, my idea was. I'm going to self-publish and I'm going to put this book out. It's going, I'm going to have the ebook, the paperback, the hardcover, and the audiobook version. 
Uh, now, in order to do all those, and I don't, I still don't have an audiobook version, but in order to do those, I was reaching out to different people to get services done, right? Now, I, again, I can't say what or who or any services or any of that because I can't give away who it is, but I reached out to someone that's huge in the community in some form of book production, whatever. I, I Again, I don't want to get too specific uh, uh, publicly, but they were really positive about the book. And like I said, huge name out there. And I was like, oh my God, the fact that this person is interested is so cool. And they themselves were like, hey, I also do work for this uh, publisher, smaller publisher, not not a big one, but it's still mm -hmm. traditional. Would you be interested in maybe uh, going for them? Because I can hook you up with the owner. And I was like, that would be great. And so I, I you know, she sent me to him and I started I just gave away the genders. Doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's just 50% of the world is out. That's okay. That's, it's that's okay. True. It's still plenty. <laughs> so anyway, talking with them, and un unfortunately, I send in my query. They never responded. The website has a very clear like deadline. Like If you haven't heard from us by then, then you should contact us. And I was like, oh, okay. So I reached out, and I got nothing again. And I was like, what? Why are why am I not hearing from this person? So I waited another couple months. And by this time it had been, I don't remember how long, six months, eight months. And I was getting to the point where it was like, okay, you guys need to like tell me, am I in? Am I not in? Or I like need to actually publish this book. So I emailed them again. And and maybe, maybe I was a little too direct or forward. I don't know. But I was like, hey, I just want an answer. Like one way or the other. And uh, if you're still interested, that'd be great. But I need to kind of figure out what I'm doing here. And they responded and said, yeah, we gave you, we were giving you a chance because of who like put us in contact with, but yeah, we're not interested. And I, I, I kind of think that might've been because I emailed them again. I don't know. Uh, but they even got the title of the book wrong. So I was like, okay, no. I'm kind of <laughs> glad that I didn't go with you guys anyway. <sighs> you don't even know what the book is. <laughs> so that kind of annoyed me. Trials of Ashpile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, like, what? I don't remember <laughs> what they said, but they they completely butchered it. And I was like, oof, okay. Well, wow. I'm uh I'm not I just when that happened, I said, I'm just self-publishing. I'm not gonna deal with this yeah. anymore. <laughs> it speaks to a little bit how many people are out there writing books and trying to get published. And like you said. One percent, maybe right, yeah. ninety-nine percent, just throwing the books out into the wilderness, and nobody cares. Nobody's right. doing anything. Thank goodness for the opportunity to relatively easily self-publish now, yeah, compared to a lot of... the pre-digital age. Yes, definitely, the digital stuff has made it so much easier. And I do want to say, on behalf of the person I'm talking about here, uh, who might not have treated me the way I. Would like to have been treated i understand that they were probably really overwhelmed with submissions because i think i'm guessing here because i can't ever remember time very well but i think that was in 2021 or right right yeah i think it would have been a, towards the and middle of 2021, I think when I first contacted. So COVID had been happening for a year. And apparently, according to everything I've read online, when that happened, a huge amount of people started writing. Everybody started books. writing. And so <laughs> yeah. I would not be surprised if they just had a massive catalog. And 
and that's fine. But I would have at least been nice if you followed the own terms you put out on your own website right, and right. also knew the title of the book. But it's... well, you know, I'm banking, John, that you're going to become, you know, one of these people like uh, Michael J. Sullivan with the Ryura revelations, self-published, <laughs> got so popular that then a publisher reached out to him and said, hey, can we publish your book? That would be amazing. That's like what and when I would that love happens, happen. I'm going to be like, yeah, and, and John's friend, Patty. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you're more optimistic than I am because I just don't think that I'm that well known. But you know, hopefully in the future, that would be amazing. I would love to get there. Well, let's talk about how you how you are getting known. Your book is getting decent ratings, four out of five <laughs> stars on Amazon. 4.15 out of 5 on Goodreads. You know, it's up there in the upper levels. How is The Trials of Ashmount doing in sales? I, if you don't want to answer, that's fine. But, you know. Well, I'm a very open book when it comes to this. So it's fine. I think uh, right now we're at, uh, I haven't checked exact numbers for a while, but I think it was like 2,100 sales. Now, to also be completely honest, Probably 800 of those were free downloads during a free promotion I did. So that's, you know, if you do 2100 minus 800, so like maybe like 1300-ish sales for like actual money. And again, most of those at 99 cents because when I first launched, it was at 299. But I don't know if you know the author, Ryan Cahill. I do, Ryan Cahill. Um, I haven't read his stuff yet, but it's on my TBR. So I actually kind of knew him before this sounds so I hate this, but like before he was famous, uh, <laughs> kind of, he actually ran a writing group on Facebook and I was also running it with like, we were together in the administration. Uh, and right then I think he had just published his first book a few months before I had first mm-hmm. joined as in an admin there, but I kind of have talked to him on and off a little bit about his strategies. And so when I found out that he put his book down to 99 cents and just saw a huge increase in sales, I did the same thing. And it's true. It, it really made a huge difference and helped me get it out there a lot. And now my second book is coming out, which I know is a question later, but I did increase the uh, price of that one. I think it's $3.99. Yep. And so that... Since I've pre-purchased, I know it's $3.99. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But that is where I think money being made is going to happen. Because if you're, if you're talking strictly how much money have you made, this is a guess because I, I don't have the total. It's really hard on Ingram Spark to figure out how much actual money is made for physical copies. Uh, mm-hmm. But digitally, I've made a, almost $850, I think. And then if I combine that with a guess of the physical sales, I'm probably at $1,200, I'm guessing, okay. in less than a year, which... Doesn't sound good. I do hear what everyone's thinking, but if you look up the average amount of money a self-published make a self-published author makes in a year, I think it's like a thousand dollars, and that's just in general self-published author, not not one book. It's your whole catalog. Now, yeah, how accurate is that information? I do not know, <laughs> but I, I uh, if if that's what I'm judging it based off, of, and I, I wouldn't be surprised because there's a lot of you know authors that don't make anything really because it's it's really hard to get out there and i definitely sympathize with that but uh and to go back to the question how well am i doing now with sales i i generally average about a sale a day i guess if if you're 
stretching it out. Some days, you know, three, yeah. some days yeah. zero. But uh, so it's it's not bad. Well, the formula you're following, I've seen a lot of uh, self-published people doing too. It's kind of the the old drug dealer formula, <laughs> you know, Psst, have a taste, you know, and, and 99 cents, you know, and then they want more. So then they'll pay more for the next book, you know, get them to experience it because you're an unknown. I don't know who you are. There's no reputation. There's just this book with a nice cover. Okay, maybe I'll like it, you know, and give them <laughs> the chance to try it. And I think they would like it. I'm honestly shocked you haven't sold more yet. Not that you've done anything wrong. I'm just saying <laughs> the book is that good that it, you should, people should be reading this book. So we'll just wait for the breakthrough. It's going to happen. <laughs> well, I appreciate keep, that. Keep um, steady the course. It's that good. So you mentioned audiobook has not happened yet. And that is a way, a primary way. A lot of people I know who listen to our content, watch our YouTube channel, primary way they do books is audio these days. Yep. So that's probably expensive to get into audiobook format. Am I right? Yeah. So I, uh, I've i gotten different quotes uh, from different people. And it is insane amount of money out of pocket if you're looking at you know i've i've looked everywhere from some really big names to some unknown people well maybe not the not unknown but like middle of the ground i guess and i so the first quote i got was from a really big professional and that was like seven thousand five hundred and i was like okay yes. well that's wow not you know affordable right. and then i went down the line a little bit <laughs> i got another quote for and this is this is from someone who probably doesn't have the same name recognition but is still super professional mm -hmm. and that was like four thousand five hundred yeah. i think and i had another couple uh quotes for around that uh, number two and then if you go cheaper than that and i'm not disparaging anybody that does but from my limited audiobook narration understanding the quality dramatically decreases pretty quickly because yeah after you get below now i'm talking about my book size uh which is sure. 150 140,000 words for the trials of astronaut if you're talking about my book size the amount of hours that everyone thinks it's going to take to produce and read it if you go below about four thousand dollars then you're getting into budget narrators from from my understanding and the lower you go there the riskier it would be i i guess uh now i'm sure there are plenty of great narrators out there who would charge me two thousand dollars i don't know all i know is that if i did spend two thousand dollars it would be below the average uh wage for an audiobook narrator who yeah. knows what they're doing i guess would be a way of saying that and i'm always hesitant to do that with anything and that might just be a me problem because well you'd I... hate to see the narration <laughs> quality turn someone off of your book right and i'm not an audiobook listener at all so i don't really know what good and bad narration sounds like so i'm even more mm. apprehensive to just okay i don't know who you are here's you know fifteen hundred dollars and you're gonna read it i don't know if you know they could send me the whole book done and i would have no idea if that was going to be good or bad because i i never have listened to an audiobook in my life uh -huh. and I, I never will i just yeah i don't when i i when i'm listening to something uh i've never actually tried to listen to a book but i know that when i'm listening to other things like podcasts youtube videos 
I was going to say music, but I don't ever listen to music. Um, I know this is a hot take, <laughs> but I don't really like music. Those songs, anyway. <clears throat> music in general, I can listen to. That's just music. I usually listen to someone I'm writing. But anyway, when I'm listening to a podcast or like a YouTube video, I do pay attention. But I often, you know, won't be paying attention or I'll kind of drift off in my thoughts. And so I, I know that if I listen to an audiobook, I would struggle to retain or mm -hmm. know everything that happened. And that just that bugs me to such a way that I'll just never even try it. <laughs> well, I I hope eventually this will come to audiobook because oh, I, I know I enjoyed reading it. Just I read it in the Kindle version. That's how I read most of my books. But at the same time that I'm reading something in Kindle, I'm always listening to something else in audio. Because when I'm driving, when I'm doing chores, when I'm out exercising, I like to keep the mind busy. Right. Audiobooks work for me. Not every book could be audio. There's no way I'd be doing Malazan in audio. <laughs> uh, and I did John Gwynn's The Faithful and the Fallen in audiobook format. And I had to start the first book three times. Because I was oh. so lost. There was too much. That was one I should have read. You know, so it's true. Some books, you can't do audio very well. Right. I think yours would play to audio. And and I've listened to a lot of stuff. I, I think yours would do a good job there. But when you're making enough money that it justifies right. hitting that audience, I think that's uh, what you're going to need to wait for. Yeah. I, I, did a, I did apply to Podium, which is a publisher for uh, audiobooks. I haven't mm -hmm. heard back from them, but, uh, and then the, they would do it for free and then we'd like split the profits or whatever. Okay. So, profit uh, sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. That would be great, it could work. but it could work. Again, haven't heard from them yet, but hopefully. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, just a few last questions here and kind of getting away from just the, the, the actual writing, the publishing and stuff more into some fun stuff. You know, Zach and I both have read your bio, the stuff you chose to put out there. It's kind of entertaining. And it spawned a couple of questions for Zach in particular, and I'm interested too. So those who haven't read your bio yet, they can find it on Twitter. They can find it on Goodreads. You know, it's out there. Um, they need to go find it for themselves. But here's things Zach wants to know. You say in your bio that you basically don't like anything that poops. <laughs> but if you had to pick, would you go cats or dogs? It's an easy question. Dogs, because about 50% of cats I'm like really allergic to. Oh, well, that does kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach is the dog person. I'm the cat person. No cat allergies. So it wasn't an issue there. You got to walk your dog. I never had to walk my cat. See, so. Yeah, if we're talking like personality, I definitely would probably choose a cat. I just like what they do. Uh, but you like to breathe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I, you know, if I get like a cat hair in my eye, whew, I, it Ooh. all swells up and I can't, oh, you know, breathe. It's terrible. The whole thing is just, I become a snotty Jeez. mess. Like it's just, yeah, all, it, yeah stay away from really cats. bad. Yeah, stay away especially from the, cats. it's like the long haired ones, I think, for the most part. Uh -huh. wow. I, I don't know. You also mentioned in your bio that you have a love for video games. So Zach wants to know what would be your top two or three video games. And that could be of all time or right. just right now, you know, wherever you want to take it. It's that it's a really hard question. All I know about video games is I'm awful at them. Zach <laughs> kicks my butt at things like that. So he's the video game guy. He wants to know. So it's, a, it's such a good question. It's so hard to narrow it down to three. <laughs> Maybe my favorites of all time. And, and it, that's 
it's so hard because it's like well multiplayer or story based or what so uh right you know i i'm a big fan of the mass effect series the dragon age series i i i also I know zach did a lot of mass effect he he got that yeah yeah those games are great for uh, great story great characters uh so outside of maybe story bit and probably skyrim is a really good contender okay I also, you know, if we're going old school, I was a big fan of Age of Empires, uh, Command and Conquer, Diablo 2 was a game oh, I played yeah. a lot of. Back in the day, Diablo 2. Yeah. I, I did that. Um, I could win in that one. <laughs> and then I'd go off of easy mode and then start. Playing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, I, man, I don't know. And I'm you know, we're going to get off of this. And I'm going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't talk about my favorite, my actual favorite game. But I well, did you ever play The Last of Us? See, I was about to forget The Last of Us. That's one of my, uh, you know, The Last of Us 1 is a 10 out of 10 amazing game. And then I would give The Last of Us 2 maybe a 1 out of 10. I really didn't like The Last of Us Ooh, 2. Wow. Uh, if we're well, talking, you are the channel of hot takes. Right, if we're so, talking about just... Go. Like story gameplay, The Last of Us Two is I would say a ten out of ten again. I mean, it, great gameplay. Uh, still, mm -hmm. the mechanics were awesome. I just really hated a lot of the story decisions myself. But you know, well, that doesn't give a lot of hope then for the next season of The Last of Us on HBO. I uh, yeah, for me, I'm not excited <laughs> at all. I'll still watch it, but I anticipate hating it. I I don't think that you've played the games, right? I have not. I've right. just enjoyed the show, and season one was great. But now, yep. apparently, we're all going to hate season two. I, you know, it depends on what you're looking for, and it depends on what they do. They might change a few things, and you might still like it. I don't I'm know. Just, uh, I'm just thinking it's going to parallel, and we're going to be talking about, wow, the cinematography was <laughs> awesome, and the way the cameras and, and stuff, but the story was horrible. Yeah, <laughs> That's how I kind of think it might be. Now, another amazing post-apocalyptic video game for the story is actually the telltale games of the walking dead now i have oh, yeah a lot i have of... played those yes. have you the I spectacular have. stories absolutely I, I loved it, it clementine was... yes uh so much like heart-wrenching just crazy stuff happens in those games mm -hmm. and to me it's just so much better than like the core show, which I really loved in the beginning. And it really, to me, kind of really fell apart. But it, it lost its ways. Some I, I watched the whole thing. I've yeah. got a whole episode on The Walking Dead. Um, I've got two episodes on The Walking Dead actually <laughs> out there on our channel. Uh, but I was glad I watched all the way through. But certainly the earlier stuff is better. And it was closer to the source material as they wandered farther yeah, away. I mean, not read it, but yeah. And actually, I'm. This is a hot take too, but uh, Fear of the Walking Dead. I love that show. Oh, it's a great show. Now I'm only on season four. I'm behind. I'm behind. Season four is, in my opinion, when it becomes a great show. Uh, okay. All I, right. I thought that there was good and a lot of struggling before season four, but then season four, I believe they changed showrunners. They introduced a bunch of new characters, and it really mm -hmm. they did really yeah. uh, really injected a lot of life into it. I, I loved it, and I really liked. Uh, seasons five and six and then i'm don't worry i'm not playing anything for for you but season seven i i think i think it was filmed during covid so you can tell there's a lot okay. of like it's kind of i don't want to say it's boring but it's a lot, a lot slower. of solo exposition moments <laughs> well something does happen that separates people uh storyline wise and then uh -huh. you can you can just tell it's covid because they all 
are in their groups like kind of separated in the show and there's not really much interaction yeah. because it's like okay clearly covid happened <laughs> hard hard for these producers when you're yeah. managing the covid the, issues the same yeah. thing happened in the walking dead too when you could tell when covid happened because it was mm-hmm. like oh my god what is and it, that actually was way worse than what happened on the fear of the walking dead because they had all yeah. those standalone episodes that was like so boring <laughs> mm-hmm. yep okay let's make sure Everyone knows the answer now. Uh, your next book. Again, I've pre-ordered it, so I know the answer. Uh, <laughs> the second book in the Tragedy of Sedane series. When is it going to be available to people? So the second book comes out June 1st. Buzzard's Bowl. And, and they can already pre-order. Yes. Uh, just, just the digital edition. I'm still working out uh, the physical edition. I'm, I'm trying to get that up in time. Now, if I'm correct and i i could be saying wrong things i know that if you publish through amazon they don't allow pre-orders for physical editions for self-published authors i think because i go through ingram spark i i think they do i could be wrong i haven't tried it before because uh literally when i was publishing the trials of ashmount i had entered it into a self-published contest called the spfbo run by mark lawrence Okay. And I didn't actually have everything ready to publish until about the day before the contest started. And when the contest starts, you have to be published. So it was like a night or two before it officially started that I clicked publish. And so I didn't actually have time to see if there was any uh, pre-orders really. <laughs> yeah, I was, that was a nerve wracking So you're time. way ahead. You're That's way right. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and fun <laughs> fact, for anyone that doesn't know, Buzzard's Bowl is actually coming out a year to the day that the trials of Ashmount did. So that's kind of nice. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's mind blowing really to think about your book's been published less than a year. It's only yep. been what, like nine months. Yep. About. Yeah. June 1st will be the uh, one year anniversary. It's uh, crazy. 10 years from now, you're going to be looking back, remembering these <laughs> early days and, you know, before all those millions of copies had been purchased. Maybe, and wow. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll actually make money. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? That would be nice. Now, you have made money, just not enough to cover what you spent on it so far. And Oh, yeah, not even close. <laughs> that's not so much different than being a content creator. I, We do have a few people, thank you very much, who support us on Patreon but it hasn't come anywhere close to cover what I've poured in money-wise to produce this. It's my hobby. It's what I love to do. And that's partly inspiring you too. You love to write. You love that you've got a book out there that people are enjoying, that they're talking about. And gee, it'd be nice if this would catch on enough so that you could just do this. That would be great. That's the dream, right? That is the dream. I mean, uh, so full transparency, I actually don't have a job right now. I'm basically a full-time author without the income of a full-time author but i uh i live with my mom right now my dad is in a nursing home so and my mom was in a car accident and had a lot of uh, a really bad car accident has some lingering injuries can't do some physical things so i am single i'm not doing anything if i did move out it would not be far away probably so we have a, a, a big house so we can live here without a problem mm-hmm. so i just live at home and she has a dog business. She raises uh, King Charles Cavalier Spaniels and breeds them. And that's kind of where a lot of her income comes from. Because my dad's pension basically pays for him in the nursing home. And that's about it. Well, so thankful for that at least. 
Right. Yeah. 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 So I actually own a dog and I make money through the dog. And that's literally how I uh, pay the few bills I have and fund my books. So obviously it's not a permanent situation, but I'm hoping that if I just, if, 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 if the graph of sales and money starts to go up, mm-hmm. then uh, I'll be good. I can, you know, keep going. Uh, so that's yep. my goal is just to see an increase. And as long as it continues to increase, I think I'll be fine to continue being a full-time author, but good, you know. Spontaneous question: Does did your mom read your book? Yes. Uh, so my mom is different than a lot of moms. She really likes the fantasy that I read. So for probably ten years now, I I will buy books. Might actually be fifteen years now. I will buy books that I really like. I will read them. I will give them to her. She will read them. About 95% of the time, we're on the same wavelength of liking the same books. So she did read my book, and she really liked it. And so uh, that's great. I I thought that was awesome. It does sometimes run in the family. Obviously, my (laughs) son and I share a lot of interests in literature, but go the other direction. I love to read because of my mother. And I've got her reading The Wheel of Time right now. And she plans to move on to the expanse when that's done because I'm not passing along things. And she read (laughs) a song of ice and fire because, Hey, you know, this is good stuff, mom. You know? So yeah, it happens sometimes. It's a lot of fun when that's the case. All right. Last question. This is from Zach. Are there any fun surprises in the upcoming book? um, Or the one after that, that you're just thinking, well, no, you're actually already writing the one after that, the third one you're working on it. Now, again, no spoilers, but just without outright spoiling, can you say, yes, there are some fun surprises? Or is there <laughs> anything you could tease us with that if we've read the book and you say this teeny little bit, we'll go, oh, is there anything like that you want to toss our way? Sure. First of all, there are in both, both books two and three, uh, some really new or so, some really fun new characters. But nice. uh, specifically in book two, if, if 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 you've read book one, you'll know that there were a couple interludes that kind of uh, focused on different characters. I really liked writing those interludes, and I did get a lot of feedback, uh, positive feedback on those inter- uh, interludes, which is good because by the time I got most of this positive feedback, the second book was almost completely written. But during the time I was writing book two, I was like, man, I really like those interludes. It's like a breath of fresh air when I'm writing because I'm one of those people that can get really bored with uh, just doing the same thing over and over again. So that's why the order of the POV chapters are not like predictable. Uh, I switch it around kind of randomly. Yep. And I'll get to the end of a cha- chapter and I'll be like, who do I want to write about next? And I'll just type the uh, person's name as the title and and that's who I go with. So it's and it works. Of, yeah. yeah, it's kind okay. of random. But in, in book two, there are a lot more interludes because uh, one, I realized I wanted them. <laughs> and two, uh, I just think they were necessary to show different maybe sides and maybe things that the main characters wouldn't see or know that I yeah. wanted readers to know. So I, the, if you did like the interludes, there are quite a bit more of them. Nice. That seems natural. Your world's getting bigger. The story's getting bigger. You need more interludes. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of ironic because... This isn't a spoiler, I don't think, but the Trials of Ashmount starts with uh, five characters in five different countries. And book two, without, again, spoiling anything, really starts to narrow a bit. And then I'm writing book three now, and it's even 
getting more narrow. But it's funny because as as we narrow some stuff down, I, I do feel like we're expanding a lot too. And uh, it's it's been a interesting time. I, the book three is a lot different feeling to me than the first two books. I've written okay. 20,000 words in that book so far. Now, I know a lot of people don't understand word count if you're not a writer. So to give context for that, The Trials of Ashbound is 140,000 words and book two is 150,000 words. So it's not like a lot, but it's a, it's a decent chunk. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm surprised at how much hasn't happened. Now, I, I don't mean that it's boring. I just mean that when I started writing the book, I had I have these kind of uh, points in my head, and I don't plot, but I always think about them. And I had these places in mind of things I wanted to hit, and I haven't even hit the first one yet. And so I'm just like, man, what is this one going to be a lot longer, or are th are things going to start really slow in and then really kind of build up and blow up? I I don't know because I really quite the discovery writer. I just go for it and let's see what happens. <laughs> what you're describing is how book 12 of the wheel of time became book 12, 13 and 14. Cause sometimes <laughs> there's just so much still that you have to say that has to be done while you're getting to the main points, you know, we're happening. So right. maybe it will be a bigger book. We'll see. Yeah, I'm well, looking forward to it. Just keep writing, keep enjoying. <laughs> and I know that, We'll enjoy it when we get to see it. Uh, John, again, thank you for being with us here today. This has been fantastic. Uh, oh, appreciate yeah. all that you've been able to share. Uh, those of you watching, if you've enjoyed it, again, reminder, like the episode. Share it out to other people. Let them know, because this is a great way for them to learn about this, uh, gotta point that way, this book and what's coming and why they might want to check this out. Uh, I firmly endorse it. Great book. So does Zach. And, you know, get out there, find this book. It's available everywhere you want to find books, except audio. But if enough people buy it, audio will show up eventually, too. So let's go, people. Let's do it. That's very true. Yeah. Um, John, I know people can find you in lots of ways, but why don't you point blank tell them? I'll have it in your show notes. But go ahead and how can they find you if they want to talk with you? So I'm most active on Twitter, I think. Uh, if you follow me at a grim bastard. That's where That's I'm a at. Great, on, uh, great name. Twitter. I also just launched a uh, Discord server that I'm pretty uh, active in for now, and that's there's a link to that in my uh, link tree on Twitter. It's actually inspired by it, it's called the Dripping Bucket, which is uh, a tavern name that Michael R. Fletcher came up with. And for people that don't know, uh, it's kind of a a joke because the name of that tavern shows up in a ton of fantasy books, a lot of <laughs> self-published uh, Peter McLean. Or is it McLean? McLean. He wrote the war of the uh, Rose throne and he's traditionally published and he has it in his book too. Uh, and fun fact, the dripping bucket does appear in book two of my book. Nice. Yep. And, uh, and in book three, actually. So it, it's kind of uh, just a funny thing that a uh, little easter, easter egg, egg yeah 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 you can find in uh a lot of self-published books mostly but nice all right and of course you do have your youtube channel so they can come yes. and uh follow along discussion. there listen to your hot takes and uh see what else you've got coming out all right well thank you again for being here i'm gonna run my outro now to remind everybody of all the various ways they can get a hold of us uh 
I can never say enough to like and subscribe, please. But yes, we also have a Discord. Now I got to go find John's Discord and join that one too. <laughs> uh, I know we already see you around ours. So, you know, reciprocate. Here we go. Uh, there's our Patreon page. If you really want to keep this stuff coming out on our channel, become a supporter. Uh, you get to some extra benefits by that, like getting our stuff early, which I always like, and joining us for live episodes of all kinds. Social media, all the ways we're there, and even email. You can email us. We actually check. I think we've had six over three years. But, you know, it's there. All right. Thanks, everyone, for being here. We'll talk to you next time. And we're out.